see, young America, we need to talk. You may think this is uncool. You may even think it is bogus. But I want to tell you about something that has everyone buzzing. Something that concerns mature boys and girls just like you. Something called grassroots. All right, all right, all right, everyone. You know, this is Aaron. This is another episode of Grassroots Podcast. And can I just say, it is very, it's, it's, it's very heated out here in these digital streets. We have people talking smack, calling each other dicks and stuff like that. But let's start off on a more positive note. We have a special guest today who is phenomenal, right? He is someone who understands the essence of grassroots. He understands building something and making it from nothing into greatness. And we're going to get into it later on. But first, we got to do our usual intro. My name is Aaron Ashley Simon. I'm Brandon Kilby HR. Big Papa Pump, regular Nas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. Cause see, he's a wrestling fan. He's a wrestling fan. Oh, Wilson, Wilson, oh, Yeah, yeah, we don't. Oh my bad. Shit. <laughs> uh, you know the quintessential Slug Muffin himself. Uh, Kazim, aka Real Life Kaz, Kazim Famiwide, host of the Say Less podcast. Hey guys, damn, I'm oh, oh, intro. Oh my god, so now we have to deal with two people, uh, the entire day with the aliases. This is gonna be great. This is gonna be great. I want to let y'all know something. Well, I was our, it's our week. It's our week this week, man. Like, you know, uh, it's you know, it's WrestleMania yeah, week. WrestleMania week. There's I a lot it. of things get, not going on it. in the world, but yeah, the, the show in town. Uh, I get WWE, it. So it's our it's our week, Kazim. We here. We here, bro. I, yeah, yo, listen, I was I was quiet while you and E were talking because I was so excited because another wrestling fan. I gotta save all my questions and all my comments <laughs> until, until that record button is on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Hey, we can get into it, man. We can get into it. Let's, uh, yeah. when, Harry, when Harry met Sally. All right. Oh, my gosh. Let's get, let's get into it. Uh, Wilson is here. He's, he just has to work on some audio stuff right now, but Wilson is in the building. But let's, let's start off, right? We, I, I want to I hop into just talking about nerd culture and subculture because all of us in some shape or form here are, whether we're into wrestling or whether we're into gaming or something, like this is, th- these are cultures that, when you think of of hip hop or when you think of mainstream in terms of like coolness, right? People think that like, for some reason people think that black people can't be, you know, knowledgeable about hip hop and then be nerding out to Marvel or anything like that. So when did you get into that period of time where you transitioned from doing a lot of work in mainstream music and then moving on over into sports and wrestling and, and more of that subculture categories? Well, um, I would say it was always in me, man. Like, it, it was one of those things where, you know, I got an opportunity to work at the Source magazine, uh, which is, you know, in addition to being a lifelong hip-hop student and uh, a student of the game, you know, it's a legendary publication. And being able to be there as, like, my first, like, cutting my teeth in any sort of industry, 
uh, you know, pay, had its benefits. And when it came to music, um, and especially that magazine, I was a fan of the source back when they were covering everything. You know what I'm saying? Like when they were so big, they were, you know, it was almost as big as a dictionary because they had so many ads in the magazine because they covered so many topics. So I, in addition to, you know, being a nerd about, you know, hip hop quotables and Bob Mike albums and, you know, uh, and, you know, all that type of stuff. I was also a big fan of like source sports. I was a big fan of, you know, uh, the way that they covered certain other cultures. And I always wanted to bring that part of, um, you know, covering culture into the source and into the hip hop space, because, you know, those are things that I was really into. And not only was I really into it, like rappers would be into it too. So, you know, I'll be talking to like, you know, Pusha T or Wale or Kendrick or, or, or Drake or Big Sean. And you can mention something about that. And it's weird calling it like nerd culture because it's not really like, well, you know, because when, when you say nerd, it almost has like a negative connotation to some people. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's not really a nerd culture because when you think about it, we all kind of grew up the same. Like if anything that social media has taught me, it's that we've lived very different lives, but very, very similar lives. So. Of course, everybody was into pro wrestling when pro wrestling was was everything. Of course, everybody had a PlayStation or a Nintendo 64. Of course, everybody had, you know, Marvel Comics and, and watched Spider-Man, the animated series on, on Fox 5 or the X-Men series and was super hyped to see it in movies. Like, these are all things that, like, we all sort of experienced. So I know, you know, I, I knew the things that united us was way bigger than the stuff that divided us. You know what I'm saying? So... Just because I wrote about hip hop and I was big in that space didn't mean I wasn't super passionate about pro wrestling or super passionate about comic books or super passionate about video games. You know, like we're all very three dimensional people. And it was that type of mindset and just kind of betting on myself and thinking like, I know I'm not the only person who thinks this way. I know I'm not the only person who, you know, has these sort of interests. So, um, yeah, that was that was something that I was like very gung ho about and just kind of you know, bet on myself and a lot of people that I, I trusted to, you know, follow those instincts. And they've proven me right for most of my career. Now, as you started out, though, did you feel like it, it was difficult for you to kind of just be your, uh, yourself in, in such a gritty uh, uh, space? Like, because you think about hip-hop, you think about all different types of things, you think about violence, you think about drugs, you think about everything, right? And then uh, the space of kind of like being the nerd, air quotes, air quotes nerd it, it's it's kind of the safer kind of space did you have a, a, a problem like kind of blending there honestly no because you know for, for the reason you said it like everybody you know talks about the violence everybody talks about gang shit everybody talks about you know everything that is super you know typical when it comes yeah. to uh discussing hip-hop and when i would talk to certain people i would hit them from just a very personal way but just because as as fans of these guys i just personally mm -hmm. wanted to know if they were into the same kind of stuff i was into and yeah. well, catch you know and and if, and if you listen hard enough obviously like if you're a, you're a hip-hop historian and somebody who just like loves to dissect lyrics you get that like you know you'll you'll hear a Ric Flair drop. You'll hear something mm -hmm. from people that like a, a Street, street Fighter drop. Like, yeah. You'll hear, you know what I mean? So it's like you ask them about these things and now you've opened up like a whole new portal to their mind where now you're getting really great engaging content with them because you understand them on a level that maybe not everybody who likes this one part of them understands, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how, 
you know, I've gotten in like so good with a lot of these MCs and a lot of these rappers who just love hip hop, you know what I mean? And, and the other way around, a lot of these wrestlers that just love hip hop, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where not, I didn't really, I didn't really find it that difficult because like I was, I got in really young and I was afforded the opportunity to try some shit and see if it failed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like yeah. maybe if I was a little bit older when I got my first big break, and I had to just go with what worked and just knew that, okay, this is going to be, you know, this may not, I might not have my whole heart in this, but this is going to be something that I need to do because this is what mm-hmm. I want to hear. Um, yeah. I was young and naive enough to just try some, try different things uh, when, when talking to these people. And um, it didn't really, it didn't really make me nervous. I didn't really feel, you know, find much difficulty uh, in it. I mean, there's difficulty in all careers, but as mm-hmm. far as like, being able to bring that side out of a lot of people that people don't see. Um, nah, that's, that's, that's part of the game. That's, you know, I know yeah. somebody out there that reads the stuff that I'm interested in or watches the stuff or listens to the podcast. And uh, they want to hear that type of stuff from people because I knew I did. Yeah. So I wouldn't ask, yeah. you know, if people didn't want to know. So no, nah, I, I feel like, it, I feel like it was cool. Was there ever a struggle though? Like, was there a struggle where you're, you obviously have the main hip hop music lane, but was there a struggle to then, as you're creating content, whether there's WWE or anything like that, uh, in terms of it, I guess your fans on the hip hop side tuning in and building a presence on that side and letting people know like, okay, yeah, he talks about hip hop, but I also want to check out his content for WWE. Because a lot of times when, when it comes to branding, it's like people always say, oh, own one thing, own one thing, but you've been owning multiple lanes. Yeah, I mean, I would say, uh, I wasn't necessarily say that it was struggle, but I think internally, I mean, you know, obviously you never want to feel like you're taking advantage of a culture because I know some people could see that and be like, oh, he, he's, he's, he loves wrestling, but he's not all about wrestling. He loves hip hop, but he's not all about hip hop. He loves the NBA and sports video games, but he's not all about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we're all unique individuals. And, um, you know, it, internally, there was definitely a little bit of, you know, struggle because, you know, when I when I decided to make the jump to cover more sports and, and more wrestling, I had maybe five or six years deep in, in writing about hip-hop and, you know, interviewing rappers and, and doing cover stories and that type of stuff. Like, I was very comfortable with that life, and I, I knew that was something that um, I was really good at. And, you know, I had, you know, not just the friendships and the relationships that I've built through over the years, but, you know, people trusted my work, people who liked my content and liked the stuff that I wrote and, you know, liked the uh, interviews I conducted and just... You know, even the content I created for other brands, they, they really like that stuff. So it was about building more of that trust with that audience and to letting them know that, okay, I'm never going to always, you know, stray too far away from the hip hop side. I'm never going to stray too far away from the pro wrestling side. I'm never going to stray too far away from the sports side because I know there's people out there that like all that stuff. And want to hear all that, you know what I mean? Like, I know there's there's certain ways I could communicate with people about certain uh, topics that not everyone's going to get. And a lot of times, I'm not trying to get everyone to understand it. I I want people that... Some people are going to miss it. Some people are going to miss it. Exactly. Like, sometimes you're going to miss it, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, some people ain't going to get it, and that's fine. And that's that's why I say, like, that's the only 
a struggle I really had was internally because it was figuring that out. Like sometimes things I would create wouldn't take off as well as other things. And I knew that was just a means to an end. You know what I mean? Like I knew that was just something to build my overall scope of my career just so, you know, not everything, you can't quantify everything through numbers and money. Some things you got to yeah. get experience. Some things you got to get through. You, you, you got to earn your stripes. You got to put in your 10,000 hours for everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the one thing that people will definitely say about me, or what I hope they would say about me is that like, I don't shortcut people. Like I could talk about WWE because like I was on the road with them for a year of my life, creating storylines with, you know, in war room with Vince McMahon and Triple H. Like, and mm-hmm. before that, you know, wrestle rap, which is like, the one of the first of its kind a straight up hip-hop based wrestling show you know what i mean yeah. like i wasn't i wouldn't say it's the first of its kind but it was definitely one of the more successful of its kind which led way to wale mania which is definitely the first of its kind mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so even yeah. though that wasn't something that did like huge numbers a lot of times you're not doing it for that like a lot of times you gotta do it for the for the for the, for the reputation for the for the for the culture which is the terrible yeah. phrase that i hate people saying but it's, it's, you know like yeah like something some things people are just gonna get and like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter like if yeah. it's something that's super popping or super you know uh just like breaks the internet or anything like that yeah. like sometimes you just gotta do it for the love and I, that's where i've always yeah. had my heart lead me when it came to my career what uh you said you said you were with the WWE for a year and I I can only assume that you you have to be a detail oriented person to get uh to where you are to be as successful as you are how detailed was that organization uh in the WWE like how how particular was Vince McMahon and Triple H I'll tell you this uh being there for a year let me know that nothing gets on TV by accident like everybody is doing something and it's such a a corporation where you know from the top down it really is a team effort man and you know you have to be detail oriented when it comes to you know the creation of that show and you know putting that thing together from the the tuesday or wednesday you're done with the raw smackdown at that time to you know the weeks going ahead to building out those storylines to up until the very last second where, you know, they're about to hit the music and you're still going through the last, you know, go around with Vince and the, the talent and Gorilla and all that type of stuff. It is so detail-oriented. And one little thing that goes wrong could make the whole thing go off the rails. Um, it really is, uh, you know, when you're doing it right, obviously. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not willing to say I was the best writer. I, I, I'll never say that. There's people over there that I'm huge fans of that are just absolute geniuses when it comes to creating compelling storylines and, you know, doing the things that made me a fan. Um, but, you know, I definitely do think there were opportunities that I really got to shine over there. And that was never because of me, because, yeah, you have a part in creating it and writing it, but the talent's got to go out there and perform it. The the back's got to be ready to hit the music at the right time. Uh, you know, uh, things got to get edited. You know, production's got to be on. Production got to get done. What's up? I said production got to get done. Yeah, like it's so many boxes I got to get checked off for a great thing to happen uh, on WWE. Just the fact that they're even still putting on shows with no crowd in their own performance center lets you know that like that place is ran so meticulously that you know, mm-hmm. a person like me could uh, could you know 
appreciate that because, you know, I look up to people that are extremely successful in whatever field that they're in and just loving to see just how they function. And for a good year in my life, I got to see like a handful of people that I've been fans of my entire life uh, function up close. And, uh, you know, there's things that you like and there's things that you don't like, but I usually tend to take the things that I like about them that are positive and implement it with to, to my own uh, you know, way of thinking in my career moves. So your time at the WWE, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah, we, hear you. yeah we hear you, bro. Oh, okay, okay. Have you ever heard anybody make like a like a crazy pitch for like a storyline? All you? the time. That was that was half, that was more than half the job. Like seventy percent of the job was listening to crazy pitches from you know everybody. Can and, you tell us one of them? Oh gosh, um, man, there's so many. I mean, you got you got to understand, man. Like when it comes to talent. <laughs> Uh, you know, because I'm thinking about Val Venus, Doink the Clown. Uh, you know what I'm uh, saying? Like, man, I mean, off off the top of my head, during my last couple of weeks working at the company, Bray uh, Wyatt had, had been on for a while. Um, he had been, uh, you know, he he ran his course with um Matt Hardy, the the leader of Worlds, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, Bray had been gone for a minute. Uh, he was, you know doing his thing, doing, not just getting healthy, but I think, you know, he was, you know, growing his family as well. And I got to sit in on a lot of different ideations of what eventually became The Fiend. And it wasn't, it was none of us. Like the people, I mean, at least the people that I was in the room with that I got to see, like, that was like the brainchild of Ray. Like he's one of the most like, I've only got to see, like, work around him, like, a handful of times, but never as The Fiend, only, like, in his, you know, last uh, uh, incarnation of his character. But just seeing him work, just seeing how his mind worked and seeing how all the other talent respected how his mind worked, um, let me know that he's just a different cat. And, you know, <laughs> he's the rarity where it comes to, like, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is, is from his brain, and you can help him. And you could be in the room with them, but at the end of the day, he's he's staring at shit. And you know, that's the good side. You know, other people, you know, what I'm saying, and I won't mention names. They, uh, you know, obviously have different ways of how people react to their character, and they think they have a, a bigger sense of who they are to themselves than what they really are. You know, and granted, if you're a wrestler, if you're, if you're if you make it to that level of WWE, you have to feel like you're you're the, you're the guy, you're everything. You know what I mean? And you gotta have yeah. that sort of self confidence about you, or else you never make it through the door. At the same time, you know, you're trying to pitch yourself to be like this world beater. It's like, okay, well, we got Roman, we got Seth Rollins, we got Braun Strowman, we got AJ Styles, we got all these like top guys. Top dog. Yeah, top dogs. <laughs> It, it would be great to have another top dog, but you ain't got to convince me of that. You got to convince <laughs> them of that. And at the end of the day, you got to convince the big man, the guy who really calls all the shots, and that's, you know, uh, Vinny. So, um, you know, it, it's, there's, I've heard, I've heard some wild ones. I've heard people that you wouldn't, you would laugh off as, as being like, this guy really believes he, he or she is, you know, Fandango gift or pro like it's 
the wildest things you'll ever hear. But just on the positive side, a guy like Bright who does think like that and, you know, has been in the game his entire life, that he's forgotten more about wrestling that the people in that creative office and myself could teach him. You know what I'm saying? So it's like he's one of those special ones where you get to see it and you're just you're in awe of where he's taken so, that character so far. So hold on. Now I have a question, too, because I'm thinking as you guys are talking about storylines, I thought about like Gold Dust, Mankind, all of these crazy storylines. What's one of your favorite storylines growing up, watching it and now seeing the, the business side of actually developing that storyline? Tell me how that clicked for you and, and what that was like. Man, I always say this. I'd say the greatest bad guy in the history of pro wrestling is Ben because his character was legitimately created by accident. You know, you got to think back to the Montreal Screwjob. And, you know, for a long time, I was one of those Bret Hart truthers. I was like, they were all in on it. There wasn't a real Screwjob. Like, Mm -hmm. Bret knew what was going on. Sean knew what was going on. Vince knew. It was, they were filming this documentary beyond the cat and all, I mean uh wrestling mm-hmm. shadow like all these things and he gets spit in the face and like you know growing up you think you know a little bit more about wrestling so you're looking at the things in the replay right and it's like well knowing everything and how that works there as soon as Brett gets spit on by Vince the camera zooms right into Vince which is like mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the boss, bro. Like, if yeah. he doesn't want something on TV, it ain't getting on TV. So I was a Bret Hart trip for a long time. But that whole... That was the first time the door was kind of cracked open to the inside of how the WWF worked at that time. It was mm-hmm. like, yo, mm-hmm. oh, Vince McMahon isn't just this commentator. He's the boss. Like, he runs the show. <laughs> so when Bret's, you know... You know, you watch Wrestling with Shadows and Brett and Vince get into it. And then Sean was in on it as well. Now, at mm-hmm. the end of the day, like, it took a couple of months for it to be like, oh, wow. Like, you're hearing Brett's, Vince screwed Brett chants throughout the car, uh, throughout every uh, show and, you know, booing Shawn Michaels and booing Earl yeah. after. Like, the biggest bad guy in the world now is this guy who we all thought was the commentator, <laughs> but is really this megalomaniac boss. And then from that, turning that into, you know, every great bad guy needs a great foil. And mm-hmm. that was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And yeah. that whole creation and seeing how they That's took my up favorite, the- favorite storyline of all times. Exactly. Because uh, it's the, my storyline are stuff that, that's, that's tied into some reality. Like, yeah. there's gotta be something yeah. like, oh, no, this really yeah. happened. And now they're yeah. taking the chicken shit and turn it into chicken salad. And mm-hmm. it's... Yeah. It created the most, the biggest boom period in the in, in the industry. You know what I'm saying? You have How? you've created megastars only because this central character in this long running television show is the guy who really runs the company. So it's. Mm-hmm. It, it, seeing how that worked now going you know with my older mind and seeing how that's turned into you know a thing that could have completely destroyed that company into the biggest thing going. Incredible. How, Incredible. How do you feel about Orange Cassidy? I'm a huge Orange Cassidy fan, man. Like, he's one of those guys. As a wrestling fan, is it kind of hard to see that, though? <laughs> no, nah, you know what it is? I, I've gotten to the point where, you know, I think fans are smart. I think especially guys who follow AEW are, are uh, you know, they know what they've gotten. And, and yeah. 
far, as far as pro wrestling for the past 20 or 30 years of their life. And at that point, they've kind of smartened up. Like, we understand that The Undertaker's not some dead guy who rises from the dead every year. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, we I, 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 mean, I mean, but even that's more realistic than Orange Cassidy. But well, no, he's no, not, no, not no. even taking his hands out of his pockets. Is it polishing crews? Hold on, because you gotta understand, like Orange Cassidy, he's not like some world beater. It's not like he's like the world champion, like with his hands in his pocket. <laughs> he does a few cool moves. He pops the crowd, and then he always gets his ass kicked. Like so, yeah. he's one of those guys where it's just like, <laughs> man, he's he's. I, I love it. It's different. It's it's, it's cool. Yeah, I love it. Viral. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like a lot of successful pro wrestling right now, whereas like. When we grew up, everything was about like television ratings and how many people watched Raw this night and did they beat Nitro and yada yada yada. And that's that's 20 years ago. Talking about television ratings as an antiquation of success for pro wrestling is so dated. It's like, yo, Orange Cassidy is the most one of the most viral wrestlers out there because he wrestles with his hands in his pockets and he doesn't <laughs> smile and he has sunglasses on and he does kip ups. And it's like, oh, if you can catch my attention for six seconds. In, 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 a, in a looping boomerang or a viral clip that, that 30 million people see, that's just as good as having the top rating on, on Monday Nitro 20 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, who really remembers those guys? So I wanted, you said that Vince was a, a, a great bad guy, right? But he's only a great bad guy because he's trying to compete with up in, the up-and-coming ECW and their wrestlers, Sandman, New Jack, now you had a chance to do this documentary with New Jack. How how dope was that? Well, I didn't I didn't necessarily do the documentary with New Jack. Uh, Vice reached out to me, and uh, you know I have, I have a great working relationship with Vice, and uh, you know just doing some commentary, some uh, social media live commentary, and taking over uh, the, the the social media accounts for every episode of Dark Side of the Ring, uh, which is in their second season now this year. Last year, I mean last week they premiered and had their biggest premiere day of any new show uh, they've ever had. That's including, you know, everything with the, with the Chris, uh, Chris Benoit two-part documentary. So they followed it up with New Jack uh, this week, and uh, we did a whole episode on New Jack today on uh, my podcast, Say Less With Kaz. And um, I got to see uh, a good chunk of the season so far, and the New Jack episode was the, the second episode I watched after the Benoit uh, episode. And <laughs> New Jack, <laughs> New Jack is a guy that if that documentary didn't come out and you know you didn't see it for yourself, you wouldn't believe that he was an actual guy people paid to see. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it wasn't, you know, ECW was the perfect thing for that time for him. Because I think now, you know. He's a guy like it would never work. Like he's a guy who legitimately stroll into the ring. Half of his half of his gimmick is so lit because he's beating the ass to Natural Born Killers by Ice Cube and Trey <laughs> while the match is going on. He may put you in a headlock. He may arm drag you one time. But like thirty seconds into the match, he's grabbing a barbed wire bat. He's grabbing a staple gun. He's grabbing a stop sign. And he's just beating the shit out of you with it. Like, and, and I hate to curse, but it's like, it was so overtly violent, not even like in the safe way. It's just like, dog, the, the art of pro wrestling is to make me seem 
like this guy's really getting hurt. Not, yeah, really, not really like, hurt people. Stab this guy in the middle yeah, of a match. Yeah, like, not yeah. Cut this dude's face open like with a scalpel. Like, but do you remember? Like, do you remember Ken Shamrock though? You remember when Ken Shamrock first came to WWE, WWF at that time? And it was like he—I I think it was an adjustment for him. He was like really sl- uh, snapping ankles and shit. Like it was yeah. bad. Like, oh, you gotta understand, man. Ken Shamrock when he when he first popped off, the UFC was still not that regulated as it is right yeah. now. You know what I mean, like yeah. it was still yeah. very much like oh. Mano y mano, like not many weight classes. <laughs> they you know, were only like, using hand wraps. They were bare knuckling still. Like, yeah, yeah, like oh wow. So it's yeah. like you know, telling the guy like Ken Shamrock, who has legitimately beat up some of the baddest guys on the planet, that hey, we're gonna uh, make you look like you know, that, like yeah. I think the only way it would work is that like you know, every match that he didn't win, he would snap, and when he would snap, it was him just like. It was him maintaining his heat because everybody knew legitimately nobody could really beat up Ken Shamrock for real, yeah, right? No, so what's no. the best yeah. thing we can do? We're just gonna make him put people in the ankle locks and break ankles and have run, run a bu- throw a bunch of referees into the ring like, oh my god, we can't stop him! Everybody, and, 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 and then they're all trying to surround him like, like oh that, yeah, like getting yeah. arrested. Like that was the only way that could work. So it's like you know a guy like Ken Shamrock now he kind of broke the doors open. For yeah. guys like Brock Lesnar, guys like you know Daniel yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. in there, uh, even Kane Velasquez, um, Kane know, Velasquez, Ooh. yeah, like you know it's it's funny because Kane Velasquez had that weird match at Super Showdown, but like if you go watch some of his stuff with uh, Triple Mania in Mexico, he's flying around the ring like he's Rey Mysterio Jr. Like he's a, <laughs> he's like a real deal like luchador yeah. type of wrestler, but he also real deal beat. The crap out of Brock Lesnar for the title. Like, you know, it's a guy like Ken Shamrock, man. Like, he should have been in the WWE Hall of Fame, man. Like, he's yeah, a guy, yeah. who, yeah. guy who should have been got his flowers as far as, like, you know, breaking that door open for not just like mixed martial artists, but especially for the UFC. I didn't really know what the UFC was. He changed the yeah. game. That was about to yeah. say, for, for, for me, until Ken Shamrock, I had no idea what, what UFC was. I had no idea until him. Yeah, and then I just yeah. started doing research on his whole family and his brothers and stuff. I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you guys off, but when I heard "Break the Door Down," um, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit because with Wale Mania, that broke down many doors, um, and especially when it came to hip hop's integration into wrestling, more in terms of just people from hip hop. Right. Obviously, uh, there's been certain integrations of hip hop into wrestling because we spoke to our truth about that. Uh, but talk to us about how how did that even start? How did Wale Mania start and how did you guys get to the point where the WWE even was supporting that initiative as well? Well, I mean, Wale's had a, a long, funny uh, relationship with the WWE. So. Uh, I'll say this, it wasn't always a peach and cream with both of those parties, but um, I always give big shout outs to Court Bauer, who uh, runs MLW right now. And uh, he was one of the first guys to kind of like put the concept of Wildermania together, which was at one point just kind of like a really cool like fan fest where like, you know, uh, fans could come and see like Court host his podcast with, uh, you know, Wale and a bunch of other like, old school wrestlers just because Wally was just a huge wrestling fan and he always went to WrestleMania and he always wanted to do something cool around that weekend. So 
he, we would get guys like, you know, Jim Ross, Ray Mysterio, um, Jeff Hardy came one year, Samoa Joe, um, Conan, uh, Rob Van Dam, just a lot of like the really great uh, wrestlers of, of the time and, and a little bit before that. Just, a, you know, Dave Meltzer came by, the Young Bucks, you know, uh, a bunch of these like really dope, uh, you know, people in the wrestling community that Wally was just a fan of, you know, he just wants to be down. And, you know, after he brought all those people in for that, like, fan fest, who would kind of, the tables would kind of turn to Wale, and he would, like, bring them into his world. It was like, okay, now we're going to turn this into my, what I do, you know what I'm saying? So then it would turn into, like, a party, concert, you know, uh, sort of thing. And, you know, in in the years since, uh, I've worked directly with Wale um, to create something a little bigger than that, you know? with the years that I've had working uh, Russell Rap and, you know, being in the good graces of the WWE and working with them and uh, the Wally Mania that year, the WrestleMania that year, being in New York and, you know, working very closely with the New Day throughout that entire year to, like, help craft that story. And Kofi's fighting for the WWE Championship in your hometown in, you know, and you got to do a Wally Mania. Like, I was like, all right, I got to make this as big, black, rap-heavy, wrestling-heavy as possible in the biggest city because I knew all eyes were going to be on this. Same mentality I'm taking next year into Los Angeles. All eyes are going to be on this thing. And Wale's been, like, the best support as far as, like, you know, behind the scenes to so many wrestlers. You know what I mean? Like, and you got to understand, like, he's a wrestling nerd so like a lot of the guys that you see on like wwe or AEW now was like while they would would you know find stops during tours and go watch these guys have indie matches you know what i mean mm-hmm. literal churches and 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 barns like you know i just i just had ricochet on my show uh say less yesterday and the literal day we first met was the weekend of wrestlemania 31 in uh, San Jose, and Ricochet and Apollo Uha, who you guys know as Apollo Cruz, um, Rich Swan, uh, a lot of those guys who are now signed to major wrestling companies. We all just pulled up to a barn and uh, just watched Ricochet wrestle in like you know in in this like little rinky dink place, and like everybody's like going crazy, like guy who has a platinum record out right now is in the middle of a farm or a barn right now watching independent pro wrestling during WrestleMania weekend. So that all kind of culminated into last year where I'm like, we're really going to blow this place up. You know what I'm saying? Like Booker T was a guy that, you know, the first uh, live, one of the first big uh, segments I ever worked on at the WWE was with Booker T and doing the five timers club. So in addition to that, he was going into the Hall of Fame for the second time as a member of Harlem Heat. So I was like, yo, we got to get Booker T to be like the guest of honor, to be like, you know, chilling with his queen at the top of Sony <laughs> Hall, the chalice, you know what I'm saying? Like, just the rock, like, we're going to, you know, make it look super popping. And then, you know, we're going to have, like, the young guns coming through. Like, we're going to have, like, Cedric Alexander pull up with his wife, Big Swole, Ricochet pulling up, Leo Rush, um, God, uh, 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 big strong boy. What's his name? 
uh, from NXT UK. Uh, just all like the young gunners. And then it was like, all right, boom, now we got to get, you know, then Corey Graves pulls up and Samoa Joe pulls up and Enzo and Cass pull up and like, you know, it's gosh, then the New Day pull up and, you know, that's when it's just like pandemonium and <laughs> everybody's, mind you, like the whole groundswell of support, like the New Day wasn't, you know, uh, advertised to come, but we all, I, all, I knew the whole time like, that we are going to just surprise the crowd at the end of the night. Yeah. And mind you, at that time, Kofi Kofi could have ran for mayor in New York City that weekend. He was so popular, dude. Like everybody in the world wanted to see him become the WWE champion. And then he pulls up to Sony Hall and it's just madness. Absolute madness. And like then WWE hits me up and like, yo, we want to use this for the for the WWE 24 we're, we're putting on for the network. And like, you know, we want to work together to make this happen. So because we love you and we love working with you. So like, you know, let's make this a, you know. Like, once you're in there, it's like the mafia. It's like, you never really leave, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's still always ways that WWE reaches out to work with you. So, like, you know, I work with them with Cricket and doing a lot of, like, the live show experiences with them uh, for the big uh, pay-per-views, like Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania. And then, you know, Wally Mania, which is something completely independent of that, they're just like, yo, like, this is culture, man. Like, let's, let's make this happen. Let's use that. So now we got all of their top talent at this party, and now Wale is going to come out and perform, like, hits off of his number one album and bring out Smoke Ninja and bring out West Side Gun and bring out Griselda and bring out, like, you know, Young Chris from the Young Guns. Like, all it, it's a one-of-a-kind experience. It happens. I'm so glad it happens every year because I know a lot of fans like myself didn't really have those places to go during WrestleMania weekend. It's very white. It's very, very white. <laughs> this was something that, you know, people could really grasp and 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 hold their arms around. And I just wish when I was a wrestling fan growing up, I had that type of thing to go to. So for sure. For sure. So is that is that like a new like okay, you said that the other wrestling events are, are predominantly white. Do you feel like now there's this more there'll be more of a I wouldn't necessarily say an acceptance, but in in that that culture embracing black culture being a part of wrestling because of yeah. the likes of Wally Mania? I would think so, man, because Wally Mania, I think you know, especially it was it was important that Wale did it too. You know what I'm saying? Like, granted, he's not the only rapper that's in the hip uh, in, into wrestling. I mean, you got your Denzel Curry, you got ASAP Mobs, you got you know John Cena, Action Bro, yeah, Action Bro, Bronson, like you know Dizza, Ghostface, all these guys. They're all big into wrestling. Rick Rubin, but Wale was a guy who you know not only rapped about it in his songs, but you know, put his money where his mouth is. Like, he helped fund MLW with Court Bauer, which is the company that, you know, got MJF popping, who is, like, now the top heel in AEW. He's a guy who I flew to Houston with to meet with Mark Henry because he wanted to meet Uha Nation, who eventually became Apollo Crews, and got him his deal with the WWE. You know what I'm saying? Like, Rich Swan, same guy. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy who not only put his money where his mouth is as far as like a fan of wrestling when it came to like these guys who are on the independence that have now made it big since then, but he was a guy who wasn't necessarily in the, in the best graces of the WWE at one point because it's something that was completely out of his hands. And he went so hard to make 
that, you know, thing in the past because that happens with him a lot. You know, I think a lot, with a lot of people with Wale, they tend to, uh, he's very misunderstood. Like, I feel like if everybody knew the Wale I knew, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of the assumptions that people have about him, they would never have because yeah. a lot of things he just has, he just has unfortunate circumstances sometimes. Um, so now with Wale Mania, it's become something where, you know, every culture has that moment. You know, like the Comic-Con had that moment. Uh, you know, uh, esports had that moment. Um, every sort of sub-nerd culture had that moment where, you know, brown folks started knocking down doors. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And yeah. I feel like last year's Wale Mania was just such a... It was so us. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like... When a guy, perfect example, you got like Drew McIntyre, right? You're watching yeah. his videos, getting ready for the main event of WrestleMania, and he's like literally running the hills of Scotland with barrels <laughs> on the back. He's like, Lesnar! Like, you know, like, that is so him. Like, he's going for his first world title. He's, it's a, the biggest moment of his career. That is him. That is his culture that speaks to him. Every Scottish person that saw that was like, yo, that's our guy. Kofi Kingston, same thing last year, man. He has this groundswell of people, you know, coming together for him. And we know how long it's been since we had a black WWE champion. It's been almost 20 years. You know what I mean? And you can count them on one hand. Mark Henry, The Rock, Kofi Kingston. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, when it got to that point, Ron Simmons, my fault. Shout out Ron Simmons. Um, And then seeing Kofi in New York City in, 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 a, in a hall reserved for rappers and concerts, surrounded by all the black wrestlers, surrounded by not just black wrestlers, but you know, mostly black wrestlers, but like surrounded by like everybody in WWE, surrounded by a bunch of rappers getting carried on his shoulders, crowd going crazy, playing like knock if you buck, like swinging his breath <laughs> and like, oh, that's us. Like that's how we support our people, man. And it's like, yo, I, I, it's like, and they got it, and, and they understood it, and, like, shout out to Big E, too, like, and, and Xavier Woods. They get it, you know what I mean? Like, they understand. A lot of that, they know that stuff doesn't happen if they don't understand that same nerd culture that they all came from, you know what I'm saying? Especially Woods, especially Big E. Um, you know, that's how we support our people. So that sort of moment, man, and, and being able to do that every year, it, it, it warms my heart. Like I said, it's something I wish I had growing up as a black wrestling fan. Yeah. All right. So I have a quick question, Kyle, because I know we're getting close to time and we have to say less, but I want to get to say less. That's a segue. Hey. So how how did we get there? Like where where did you start and, and what got you into podcasting and how is that working out for you outside of us you being here? Clearly it's working out. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I had done a few podcasts in, in my past. Uh, uh, you know, I did a Big Apple Bucket for the New York Post. I did a, a very popular Flavor 2 podcast for about three years. And, uh, you know, things were going on in my career um, as far as, like, you know, covering sports and doing all types of other things that um, as much as I loved uh, being a part of that crew and, and doing that show with them, um, it, it was just time to, it was time to grow. And uh, Say Less was something that, you know, was something that I was, you know, thinking about for a long time. And obviously, 
with everything going on in the world right now, uh, it hasn't launched exactly how I dreamed it was supposed to launch because, you know, we got <laughs> home and we got the Zoom interviews and, and FaceTime audios and that type of stuff. But at the same time, you know, it's definitely something that has made me, uh, you know, it's almost been therapeutic for me doing these every day, uh, you know, during this pandemic because, you know, the world is literally changing before our very eyes. And, you know, in a few years, maybe like five or 10 years from now or two years from now at this point, I can look back at these episodes and, and know that, you know, when, when the plague happened, like Shakespeare, like after quarantine was over, over, like Shakespeare like came out and created some of his best work. You know what I'm saying? And it's like mm. at times of great like struggle in the entire world, especially something like this, a once in a lifetime pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. It's that time where like creatives do their best work and they got to get to work and they got to, you know, do what they put on this earth to do. Like we all as uh, creatives in our different fields, um, we're given this gift uh, to be able, whether it's to talk, whether it's to be able to interview people, whether it's to be able to create content, whether it's to be able to do something. All of us creatives were given this unique gift that not everybody else is blessed to get that would love to have. And at this time of our lives, this is when you want to, this is this is where, where it's put to the test. This is where you you know make the best use of it. And that's what say less is, man. Like say less is something that I know I have a gift for as far as like connecting people with other people and, and connecting worlds to other worlds. And uh, you know, having something every day that people could wake up to and listen to, even if it's just for an hour, even if it's just for 45 minutes, they can just escape with it and just like have just some interesting conversations. And uh, mm-hmm. granted, it was supposed to be a sports show when it launched. I think it was kind of a happy accident that it's become more of like a lifestyle show and a culture show because with no mm-hmm. sports on, we need each other more than ever. So I think yeah. it made more sense to celebrate uh, all the similarities that we have in life than the differences because we need unity to get through this whole mm-hmm. thing. So that's what Say Less is, man. It's, it's my passion. It's my passion project. It's, you know, it's something I've been doing for the past almost 11 years now, uh, but not necessarily with, you know, my own, uh, on, on the sweat of my own back. So uh, the, people mm-hmm. who support, the people who listen to it, it means the absolute world to me. Fire. Well, I'll be tuning in, cause I think your story is great. So, and 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 plus, um, it's good to see that there are other people. Cause I look at Nas crazy. It's good to see that there are other people that create <laughs> alternate like realities in their world. So, uh, you, 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 that that let that lets me know you think with both sides of your brain. You're good. They're amongst you. They're amongst you. You gotta talk yes, to them. Yes. You gotta yes, let them know, yes, man. Like you. Yes, you're good. <laughs> You find these new avenues that you didn't think existed in them before. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you learn something new every day, bro. Word. 100%. All right, guys. This was a great conversation, especially when it came to wrestling. Um, I wish we could go on and on, but we got to gotta keep, well, we got to say less and keep it. Say less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Kaz, where can they find your podcast? Where can they find you on social media to tune in? Well, you can find me on social media, Instagram and Twitter, at Kazim, that's K-A-Z-E-E-M. And uh, you can follow Say Less on Instagram and Twitter, at Say Less with Kaz. Um, you can listen to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, YouTube, uh, TuneIn, 
everywhere. You know what I mean? Just Google it. Hit Say Less With Kaz. You'll find it. We got some amazing episodes. I'll talk to uh, Roz Golden Woody of First Take, uh, Van Lathan of The Ringer, B-Dot from Rap Radar, Peter Rosenberg from Hot 97, uh, Melissa Ford, um, Ricochet from the WWE, Swerve Strickland. Um, Honda Cole. A lot of people. Erin uh, Ashley Simon was on the show as well. So, uh, it's just interviews with people that I just find extremely interesting that I think you find to speak to. So appreciate the support. So, Welcome. On that note, I'm Erin Ashley Simon. I'm Brandon Kilby H.O. I'm the Big Balboski, regular Nas. <laughs> The quintessential stud muffin cuisine. Appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Fresh, 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 fresh.